we're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians. I wonder if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's on page 1153. And uh, this afternoon, as it's the start of a new term, we are starting a new series. Well, it's a new series in a book that we've been doing for a while. Um, We've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, trying to work out what What is God teaching us as a church from this letter to a church in Corinth 2,000 years ago? And uh, we're going to look at this next chunk of chapters 12 to, well, really 12 to the end this term. Um, So why don't we pray that God would help us? Then we're going to read it, and then we're going to have a think together uh, about uh, what it's teaching. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good. Thank you that every word you say is good, that every word you say is kind and loving and just and true. And we pray that we'd know that this afternoon, pray that we'd understand that as we look at the Bible together. Father, please would you teach us loads from this part of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Let me read verses 1 to 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, maybe you don't know anything about the Bible. That's fine. And maybe you know the Bible fairly well. If you do, you'll know that these chapters are pretty controversial uh, and have got some interesting stuff. Actually, I want to say that these chapters are essential and crucial for God to teach us some really good things. So let me uh, read this for you, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each just as he determines. I have been really excited about preaching this part of 1 Corinthians. I'm really excited about it. Um, because I think God's word is going to change our minds and is going to change our hearts. God has got some things to teach us. Now, if if we don't approach the Bible with an expectation that God is going to change us, then we are basically saying, I think I'm absolutely right on everything. And I will now read the Bible and find, oh yes, look, I am. Funny that. It so turns out that what I think is exactly what God says. No. Here is where we start as a church. With this clear conviction, 
In the pages of the Bible, we have the Word of God. That is the foundation of everything that we do at Globe Church. This is what we believe. This book is the Word of God. It is accurate and true and perfect. And the Word of God changes us. We don't make the Bible try to fit what we would like it to say. That's always a danger, isn't it? Here is what I'd like, this is what I think, and now I'm going to read the Bible and make it say what I want it to say. And so perhaps we come across stuff in the Bible and it doesn't quite fit our experience. It doesn't quite fit what we think or the way that we do church. And so this is what we do. We say, oh, it can't mean what it actually seems to say that it means because that doesn't fit my experience. Can I humbly make a suggestion? Could it be that the word of God is right and our experience is the problem? Our understanding is the problem? And are we willing, as we go through these chapters, for God to change us? For God to bring our thinking, our hearts, our church into line with his words? Are we willing for God to change our minds this term? Or do we come to this subject of spiritual gifts and we're going to talk about prophecy and about speaking in tongues and about working miracles and healing people and we all go, whoa, and I think I know what this means. I I think I... And we'll make it just say what we want it to say. Or are we going to come to God's words and say, please change me? Do you know... It needs humility. It means admitting that we get things wrong. I find it hard to admit I'm wrong. Have you never been in an argument where halfway through you realized you were wrong? And yet, you continued to argue your point because it just felt like you needed to. There was too much at stake. So we approach God's word. That's the danger, I think. We try to defend our position. No, no, no. Growth happens for us as a church as we look hard at God's word and we seek to understand it. So Paul introduces our subject in chapter 12, verse 1. Have a look at it with me. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, literally, that, that, um, that phrase in the Greek in which Paul wrote it, it literally says, now about spiritual matters. The, idea, the, the word gift isn't there. It's, it's the idea of, now about spiritual matters. Um, interesting, if, you, if you're interested in language and this sort of stuff. The, the Greek for spirit is pneuma. And what Paul literally says is now about the pneumaticos. Pneumatic. You know, like, so pneuma means breath, air. So like a pneumatic drill. We want to be a pneumatic church. <laughs> sort of. It, that appealed to me, but obviously not. So here is Paul introducing this subject and he says, I'm going to talk to you about being spiritual. Now, this starts a new section in 1 Corinthians. Paul has already dressed, back in chapters 1 to 4, if you've been with us for donkey's years, you'll know this, it was a long time ago. But in chapters 1 to 4, Paul took on the subject of wisdom. He said, let's talk wisdom. And the Corinthians, he says to the Corinthians, you got wisdom wrong. You need to learn true wisdom. 
The wisdom of the cross. You see, your wisdom, the wisdom you pursue, is wisdom that's impressive to the world. Wisdom that looks good. Wisdom that seems powerful. And Paul says, no, that's not true wisdom. True wisdom is seen in a man hanging dead on a cross. There's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that he would save you by sending his son to die for you. There's wisdom, Corinth. Get true wisdom, chapters 1 to 4. In chapters 5 to 11, this main subject was freedom. The Corinthians say, I have the right to do anything. That's their definition of freedom. Paul goes, that's a rubbish definition of freedom. You need to get true freedom. And he particularly highlights these two areas of sex and how you treat this wonderful gift of sex and of idolatry. And he says, in sex and idolatry, you are expressing freedom wrongly, he says to Corinth. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is about truly becoming the people that God has created you to be and saved you to be. That's true freedom. So wisdom, freedom, and his third big subject is spirituality. Okay, Corinth, now let's talk about spiritual things. What does it mean to be spiritual? You can almost imagine the Corinthians going, well, oh, interesting, Paul. Actually, this is quite a specialist subject of ours. Spirituality, we're good at that. We are a spiritual church, Paul. Just look how spiritual we are. Look at what's happening in our church. We have people speaking in tongues. That is speaking in languages that people don't understand. That's impressive, right? They're speaking the language of angels, Paul. That's impressive, isn't it? We have people prophesying. We have miracle workers. We have healings. It's all going on here. Roll up, roll up. Come see the show. We are spiritual. Okay, we take your point. We might have been wrong about wisdom. We might have got freedom wrong, but surely spirituality is our thing. We do that well. We are extremely spiritual here in Corinth. But it won't surprise you to know that like with wisdom and with freedom, they have got their view of spirituality completely wrong. Completely wrong. In fact, Paul says in verse 1, Now about spiritual matters, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant, without knowledge. At the moment, you appear to be uninformed about spiritual things. What? Paul, we're seriously good at spirit. No, you're uninformed. You are ignorant. You know nothing of true spirituality. And that is what chapters 12 to 14 is all about. What is true spirituality? What does it mean to be a truly spiritual church? You know, Corinth, if they went on master... You know, like mastermind, you have your specialist subject, Yeah. It's like someone going on Mastermind, sitting down and saying, my specialist subject is Beatles. And they sit down. They know everything about Beatles. And the first question comes, in what year was the first Volkswagen Beetle built? Like, oh no, not that Beetle. Little Beetle with legs. Those Beetles. It's like you're talking about two different things. That wasn't a great illustration. Never mind. (laughs) You're talking about two different things. The spirituality that you're interested in is not the same as the spirituality I'm talking about. Your specialist subject is wrong. You're thinking about the wrong subject. They see spirituality entirely in terms of abilities and what they're able to do. The more spectacular your ability, the more spiritual you are. 
when they come together as a church, there seems to be more of a sense of a show than a family. This is like show and tell at school. Each one has their opportunity to do their little thing, to perform their little performance, to say their little bit in tongues or to do their little bit of prophecy and healing. Whereas, well, everyone judges and goes, well, that's not bad. Each one trying to be better than the one before. And this fits absolutely with what we've seen in Corinth. They want to be impressive. And they'll use spirituality to do that. And the spiritual ones, in their definition, push themselves forwards, and the less spiritual ones sit quietly at the back. You can sit and watch. Be amazed. It's like in the school concert. And one kid comes forward and plays just the most extraordinary piano piece. We've all been, have you ever been, if you've never been to a school concert, perhaps you can remember when you were in a school concert. You know, the little seven-year-old comes out, sits down, and is just unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable. Everyone's supposed to be going, wow. And then the teacher says, and next, Mavis will play the bassoon. <laughs> Great, well, how do I follow that? Here comes Mavis carrying her bassoon. You know it's going to be a car crash. <laughs> and she kind of squeaks her way through like three blind mice. And it's just embarrassing. And like in Corinth, this is what seems to be happening. There's this kind of the super spiritual ones who are so impressive and everyone else just feels a bit rubbish. That is the spirituality seen in the church in Corinth. The more spectacular, the better. They're the spiritual ones. And Paul says, you are ignorant. You're on completely the wrong subject. And largely because you're pursuing a spirituality that has very little to do with the Holy Spirit of God. Biblical spirituality has nothing to do with mystical, weird, out-of-body experiences. It is not about philosophy or gazing deeply into a space within us. It is not about meditatively kind of putting ourselves in a trance. It is not about being in touch with a deeper reality. Biblical spirituality all begins with the Spirit of God. The clue is in the name. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Pneuma. Where do you find true pneumaticos? Only where you have the true pneuma of God. Only where you have the true Spirit of God. And if you have a wonky view of the Spirit you will have a seriously wonky view of spirituality within the church. That's what Paul sets out to correct. Get your thinking about the Holy Spirit de-wonked. <laughs> Get it straightened. But for Corinth, all they're interested in is the gifts. We don't really care about the Spirit, we just want to be able to perform. And so Paul starts with the Spirit and he says, don't you know So we've talked about the mind-changing power of God's word. Don't you know, and here's the first big thing, don't you know the Spirit's greatest work? Have a look with me at verses 1 to 3. If we're going to talk about spirituality, let's start with the Spirit, and let's start with the greatest work the Holy Spirit ever does. Here it is. Let me read verses verses 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know 
that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul takes them back to what they once were. What they were before they came to know Jesus. And it's not exactly flattering, is it? You were led astray and influenced to follow dumb idols. That's my summary of your pre-Jesus existence, Corinth. Influenced and led astray. Now here's the sad truth. It doesn't take a lot to deceive a human being. Does it? We all like to think that we are smarter than we really are. We're not. It is very, very easy to influence a human being and to deceive them. And to be honest, the easiest way to do it is to appeal to their appetites. Food, sex, pleasure. Not difficult to influence a human being when you put those things in. And Corinth was a culture where their pagan worship was full of that stuff. London is a city where our worship is full of that stuff. Of course it's appealing to us. And we think that we're smarter than the average bear, but we're not. By nature, we are deceived and influenced. We are led astray. Like the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which you're all far too... What a hopeless illustration for... Yep, thanks, Trev. (laughs) Um, If you've never seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang... Put it on your bucket list. It is it's great. The child catch is terrifying. He comes out and he offers sweets to children and he lures them away. He influences them and takes them away. That's, that's what Paul says is the state of Corinth. And hey, let's spread that out a little bit. That's the state of humanity. We've been led astray from God. We've been led astray from the God who made us. We've been influenced. We've been deceived. And we worship all sorts of other stuff. And you may say, I don't worship anything. Yes, we all do. The things that captivate our affection. The things that we most long for. The things that we most desire. And here's one of the great marks of false gods. All idols are dumb. They're dumb. They cannot speak. When you call on them, they do not answer. When you worship them, they do not listen. And when you're in trouble, they do not care. That is the state of someone before they know Christ. Humanity exchanges the true God for idols, idols that cannot speak. They have no breath. They have no pneuma. They have no spirit. They're dead. And yet we're lured to worship them because... A God who can't speak doesn't make any demands. He just offers me nice things. We can control it. In our natural state, no one would come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. We will view Jesus as a nobody, someone to be ignored, someone who is cursed. Dead on a tree. Now look what the Spirit does. Here is where the Spirit works his greatest miracle. Here is where the Spirit performs his greatest work because the Spirit of God comes into human hearts and changes them and enables us to say something that we could never say on our own. Now, by the Spirit, we say, Jesus 
is Lord. The man hanging dead on a tree is not a cursed nobody. He is the king of the universe. He's my king. He's the king who died for me. And I see that when he died on the cross, it is the wisdom of God as his death pays the penalty for my idolatry, as his death pays for my sin, as his death sets me free. So now I can live a truly free life, not doing whatever I want, but now doing the very thing for which I was created, which is to worship God. See, now I say Jesus is Lord. He's everything to me. He's captivated my heart. He set me free. He's my king and I want to obey him. I want to live with him and that is true spirituality. That's what it is. It starts with Jesus. Now I think this is very important for us to understand. This is the Spirit's greatest work. And this means that being spiritual, now if you're, if you're slightly asleep, uh, really concentrate for this bit. This means that being spiritual is not a sliding scale. Nowhere in the Bible, never in the Bible, is the idea of being spiritual something that you get more spiritual. You either are or you aren't. It's binary. There's lots of things you do get better at. Mavis can get better at her bassoon. Praise God. We can become more mature. We can become more godly. We can become more lots of things, but you cannot get more spiritual because when the Spirit of God enables you to say Jesus is Lord, you are spiritual. The pneuma of God has enabled you to say something you could not say on your own. You are spiritual. So let's take a fictional member of Globe Church. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie loves Jesus, but doesn't feel very spiritual. Others, to her, seem much more spiritual than she is. She looks around on a Sunday, and others seem much more passionate in worship. And she finds that she just doesn't feel that excited. And she looks at others and she thinks, oh, they're so much more spiritual than I am. I wish I could be more like that. You know, they raise their hands when they sing, but I don't, I just don't. I don't get it. Other people that she's spoken to speak of amazing experiences that they've had of God, and she's had nothing. She's felt very, she's felt very little. But she does love Jesus. And she does find in her heart something that goes, Jesus, I do want to live for you. And I want to say to you, that is spirituality. And here is a massive error that Corinth was falling into and that we will fall into when we begin to think that there are some people who are more spiritual than others. It's nonsense. If you say Jesus is Lord, however weakly and however feebly and however failingly, and you think, well, I'm a rubbish Christian, but I do want to live for Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done that. You would never do that on your own. You are a spiritual being. The Holy Spirit has done that in your heart. I think that's exciting. You are pneumatic. That means, and this is going to freak some of you out, but that means that this afternoon you have spoken by the Spirit of God. If I'd said to you as you walked in, have you ever spoken by the Spirit of God? 
I think most of us have gone, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> Actually, if you sung those songs, and if there was a vague inkling in your heart that said, I, want, I, I mean it, that was the Holy Spirit, right? That was the Holy Spirit. And the trouble is, we don't see his greatest work. And we think that being a Christian is somehow fairly normal and fairly like, well, you know, Jesus saves me and I get it and that's all nice. And then the Spirit comes along and does some weird stuff. No! The Spirit is the one who does that. Oh man, we should celebrate the spectacular work of the Spirit. And the fact that you would call Jesus Lord. And that means if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, do you see that your greatest need is that you would call Jesus Lord, but you can't. Unless the Spirit of God enables you to, and therefore, with humility, you cry out to him and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me do that? Ask him. It's his greatest work. But Paul isn't done in this message of spirituality. That's the biggest thing I want us to get clear this afternoon. The Spirit's greatest work is to enable people to say, Jesus is Lord. But here's the second thing. Don't you know who these gifts are from? So look what happens now in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. Now, look, there's, there's rhythm here, okay? You've got to feel this. Okay, it's not difficult to spot this. And you'll see the point Paul's making. It's not hard. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Do you see? Different but the same. There are different gifts, but the same giver. Now, of course, if all you have is the different gifts, that's what Corinth go, they go, gifts, we've got different gifts, and let's, okay, great, well, let's rank each other on the basis of our gifts. Paul says, forget it, it's the giver that you've forgotten. Don't you know who the gifts are from? All of your gifts, all of these things you're so proud of, they all come from the same giver. I think Paul deliberately twists their language, changes their language. So rather than in in verse 4, rather than using the pneumatikos word, which is the the word they like, the spiritual words, he uses the word charisma. And charisma means gift, grace, gift, something God gives that you don't deserve. So if I was going to be provocative, I'd say... I'd love for Globe Church to be a pneumatic, charismatic church. A church where we enjoy the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, I know that that word comes loaded with all sorts of meaning. But do you not see that just These are the words. The Spirit gives us good gifts. And for us to enjoy those gifts and to understand those gifts, they are charisma. Grace gifts. But they all come from the same place. And do you you notice how Paul almost absent, not absent-mindedly, he's very deliberately, but he kind of just very naturally has this threefold reference here. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Different uh, kinds of service, but the same Lord. That's Jesus' Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Diversity within God, expressing itself in diversity within the church, and yet oneness and unity. And here is Paul saying the diversity, the fact that you're not all the same, you've got to trace it back. It all comes from the same place. It comes from the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're gifts, but they're gifts, but they're they're service, they're workings. And who, who does God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give the gifts to? Who does it say? In all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. I don't know how you can make that more, I don't know how you can say that more clearly. All of them, everyone. All of those who the Holy Spirit has enabled to say Jesus is Lord have been given gifts. And when Paul talks about gifts, he is talking not just about, he's not talking about natural abilities, he's talking about Holy Spirit given gifts that you didn't deserve. And you say, well, look at me, aren't aren't I good because I got this gift. No, you're not good, it's a grace gift. You wouldn't even call Jesus Lord if the Holy Spirit hadn't changed your heart. They all come from God. And before we get hung up and obsessed with the gifts, we need to become hung up and obsessed with the God who gives. Wow, that you would give me anything. All comes from Him. Don't you know who these gifts are from? Don't you know the God who made you? The God who saved you? And then thirdly, and in the last paragraph there, don't you know what these gifts are for? Don't you know what these gifts are for? So, so far we've seen that the Holy Spirit is the one who enables anyone to say Jesus is Lord. And then the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, actually we've seen, give gifts to all of God's people. But why, 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 why? Look at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. (laughs) Look at that phrase. The manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, imagine as you'd arrived at church this afternoon, I'd said, listen, your, your job this afternoon as you come to church is to manifest the Holy Spirit to someone. I don't think that's language that we use a lot. And yet here it is. Why has the Holy Spirit given us gifts? So that we can manifest the Holy Spirit. So that we can show the Holy Spirit. The the, the word manifest literally has the idea of shining. So that the Holy Spirit can shine through us. It's as if the Holy Spirit clothes himself with us. Gives us gifts in order that we can manifest it to one another. Why? So that we can do one another good. For the common good. The gifts God gives by his Spirit to all Christians are to do one another good. Now, I've got to be honest. I think many, many times the reason that I would love to have a spiritual gift, the reason I, you know, I read this list and go, I'd love to have the gift of speaking in tongues. I'd love to have the gift of miracles. I'd love to have one of those gifts. I think it's because then I'd feel so much more valuable. It would would strengthen my faith. It would help me. It would help me to feel better. 
Do you not see? Paul says that's not what they're for. The whole point of the spiritual gifts is so you can do good to one another. And look at the ones he picks out. Now, we're going to do a lot more work on this in the coming weeks, okay? This is not the final word on all things spiritual gifts. We're going to do lots more on this. But let's just notice, let's just read through it. What do you notice about these gifts? To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. What do you make of that list? I don't think this is a complete list. I don't think this is Paul saying, here are uh, a number of gifts. Just tick these off. Tick these off? No, I don't think we say. I think he's picking on some gifts he can see in the church in Corinth. And over and over again, his point is there's different gifts, but they've all been given by the same Spirit to do good to one another. But I think as we read this list, it is pretty clear that these are supernatural gifts. These are not natural human abilities. These are. This is something that the Holy Spirit gives and enables Christians to do that naturally they wouldn't be able to do. And why does he do it? So that they can do good to one another. And I think this is the point at which we need to read God's word seriously. And need, we need to let God speak. And the fact that I have never been in a church where I think I've known someone who has miraculous powers. See, my temptation is to go, therefore that gift doesn't exist anymore. Do you not see that's false logic? There's nothing in the text to suggest that. There's nothing in the text to suggest that those things should not still exist. At least I can't see it. And the fact that we have little experience, some of us, Some of us have a different experience. Shouldn't stop us from reading the text carefully. Now, let me just say, at this point, okay, at this point, I realize that we are on uncharted territory. And that's okay. And I want to say, as a church family, I want us to work this out. I want us to think this through. I don't want us to ignore these chapters and just go, oh, they're a bit weird. <laughs> Let's go to, oh, chapter 15, that's nice. Uh, I want us to really work at this. What would it look like for us to manifest the Spirit to one another? How do we do this? How do we help each other? We will talk a lot more about prophecy in chapter 14 and a lot more about speaking in tongues in chapter 14. We will get to that. But I want to encourage us to actually be more aware and more willing to ask the Holy Spirit to be changing us and using us. I actually think these things happen more often than we think. And what I want to say to you is that what, one of the reasons we react against this is because many of us have seen very over-the-top, performance-based type approach to this stuff. You know, somebody goes into a stadium and says, I'm going to heal you. God, there's a spirit coming and everyone falls over. And we go, well, that's just wrong. Can I say, that's not how miracles are performed in the Bible. 
I don't think, you watch how Jesus performs miracles. He performs them in a very understated way. He doesn't build a crowd. He normally sends the crowd away. And then he says, little girl, get up. There's no show. There's nothing in... And, and I think if we're obsessed with the, the show, that's where we go wrong. But if our heart is aching and saying, Lord, there's someone who's sick. Would you heal them? I know you can heal. Holy Spirit, would you heal them? Would you even, I don't know, perhaps even use me or use someone? Give someone a gift of healing. If that be your will to heal, would you do that? Why wouldn't we pray like that? And ask that God might do these things. And I think the trouble is that we sometimes then don't see the unspectacular things that God does. We don't notice them. I remember when I was, I was probably about 15, and I had a cousin who was born. He was called Ben. And he was born as a baby. Sorry, that's obvious, because that's what happens. Uh, he was born, and, um, and when he was born, the doctor said they were pretty sure he was blind. And I remember as a 15-year-old, being really upset about that and praying. Heavenly Father, please, 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 would you not let him be blind? And about a little while later, they they realized he wasn't blind. You know what my reaction was? My reaction was, I didn't need to bother praying. Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird that that... Now, you may be far more (laughs) godly than I am. But I think sometimes we don't see the answers to the things that we pray for because we're not looking. We're not expectant. And we use different language. I want to say, let's try and use some language from the Bible. Let's use the word. When God does things that are miraculous, let's call them miraculous. Let's not leave that language to another group of people who will take it and use it. Let's say, no, let's do this. I'm excited about this. I don't know why we would be nervous. I don't know why we'd be sitting here going, I, I don't know why we as a church would go, well, I really don't want that to happen here. Why? Why on earth would we not want God to be at work among us by his spirit? In an appropriate way. And we're going to have to draw lines. And let me tell you some of the lines that we will, we will do lots of work on this. But we do need to be careful. I'm utterly convinced that Jesus and the apostles are different to us. The way they perform miracles is different to us. They were at a different time. They had a very specific role. Jesus could cast out Dean with a word. He never failed. He was brilliant at healing. I, don't, I think that had a very specific purpose. So to imagine that we'll be like that, I think, is wrong. And to expect to be like that is wrong. To expect that God will always heal is wrong. Paul failed at healing. He had to leave a friend of his called Trophimus. He had to leave him sick in Miletus. Now you'd think if you were brilliant at healing people that you'd just say, oh, Trophimus, can you get up? Great, off we go. Timothy, one of his closest workers, had to take a little wine because of his stomach, because of his frequent illnesses. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he couldn't get rid of. So let's not fall into the trap of thinking that God would always do a miracle and always heal. We can fall off the mountain that side, but you can fall off the mountain this side and go, well, never God will never do it. 
And do you not see that actually Paul is saying when you are spiritual, when you call Jesus Lord and you have the Spirit of God living in you, then suddenly you can begin to ask the Spirit to use you to do stuff. And you say, well, I can't because I'm not able to. Great, that's the point. These are not natural abilities. You may say, well, I've got nothing sensible to say to anyone. Probably true. That's okay. Pray that the Spirit would give you a word of knowledge or wisdom. And that doesn't mean, this is we go, doesn't mean you have to stand and go, I have having a word of knowledge. It means over dinner, you say to someone, as they're talking to you, they tell you something, and you in that moment say, Holy Spirit, give me something to say now. Help me to say something wise. I don't know what to say. You see, this is, we've got to learn. And we've got to practice to do this as a church. And I want us to learn an instinctive spirituality that goes, Holy Spirit, you taught me to say Jesus, Lord, and now you're going to have to equip me for this task you've given me. Holy Spirit, help me. Imagine if as the service finished, you, you prayed, Holy Spirit, what are you going to use me to do good to someone else? How could I do good to someone after this service? Do you not think that's a miraculous spiritual church? I'm very excited about this. And I want us to learn how to do this. And who knows what God might choose to do. And look at the end, verse 11. It's the Holy Spirit who determines how he gives these gifts. We don't demand them. We don't get jealous of one another. And the great thing about being a church, we'll see this next week in the body, but the great thing about being a church is if someone else has got the gift, that's terrific because it means that it's not that you have to go, well, I want that gift too. We don't need to because they've got it. It's great. You're part of the same church. So let's learn to love one another. Let's learn to be pneumatic. Let's learn to be charismatic in the sense of saying, Holy Spirit, please enable me to use the gifts you've given me towards one another. And you may have loads more questions. And that's okay. In coming weeks, we're going to have a question time. We're going to do loads of stuff. You can ask your questions. We're going to talk a lot about tongues and prophecy. We'll do all that stuff. But for today, can you see the Holy Spirit, whose greatest work is that you call Jesus Lord, and then he gifts you to do good to others? Boy, let's be a spiritual church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that We thank you that by the Spirit of God you enable people who were led astray and deceived to say Jesus is Lord. And Father, we would, yeah, we hunger for that uh, reality. We long to know that truth. We long to be in that place of assurance. And then from there to say, you're the God who then gives us gifts to use. Holy Spirit, how will you use us? Holy Spirit, will you gift us? You have gifted us. And would you give us a humility and a desire to use our gifts to do good to others? Forgive us for every time when we try to draw attention to ourselves. Forgive me, Lord, even this afternoon as I preach. I want people to be impressed by me. Father, it's so simple. And we pray, Father, please, that you'd set us free from that, that we might pursue the common good and that you might do extraordinary things in our church, and not just in us, but across London, across this world, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.